Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us. Today, we're lucky to have in the studio, Brianna McDonald, the president of the Northwest chapter of the Kritzu Forum. Brianna, good to see you. Thank you for having me, Joe. It's nice to be here. For sure. It's great to have you here. So talk to us now. You're, you're the president of this chapter now of the Kritzu Forum exciting position started just this year yes just just in january i was uh, uh promoted into the role uh but the organization's not new to me right. i have been a part of it for about 13 years and so for those of you that may be familiar with the Koretsu forum you might know the name nathan mcdonald uh, he started it here in 2005 and i am married to him yeah. so yeah. so uh, i have been able to um really learn from our members and learn from him over the course of 13 years. The first company I ever invested in was in 2006 when I was 26 years old and um, local Seattle company and I've been conducting due diligence and investing in companies since. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So talk to us though, the, the, a lot of listeners on the show probably don't understand or appreciate the difference between the Kretsu Forum and some of the other angel groups and how, how they work and how they look compared to each other. Maybe you could help us out. Well, so there's a lot of different angel groups uh, in the Northwest region and, and really around the country, um, investor networks um, that invest in companies in all sorts of different stages. And so, um, you know, the, beauti the beautiful thing is, is that what Kretsu does is different from everybody else. So some groups are network focused or um, sector focused, some are region focused, some are stage focused in terms of what stage the company is at, if it's at you know pre-seed ideation stage or, or if it's later stage. And so what the Kretsu Forum really does is we are um, focused here in the Northwest on late seed to series A. Um, we are the largest, most active investor group in the world. Uh, you can look up PitchBook data from last year. Our investors um, across the globe put in about 180 million into uh, companies globally uh, here in the Northwest, about 43. So uh, we have a very active group here in the Northwest of over 300 investors. Now, does that count? Is that Seattle and Bellevue and Boise and Vancouver? Like, how do you count? What's the what does the Northwest mean here? So the Northwest region is Oregon, Idaho, and BC in Washington okay. State. Okay. So those are the those are the four regions that come together to make the Pacific Northwest. Okay, so we're talking about that the, the investors in the Northwest region. We're talking about all those different groups. Okay, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So um, the companies there's multiple different stages that the companies go through when they start engaging with our process. Uh, but the first is with committee, and so the beautiful thing about Kretsu Forum is that we're both sector agnostic and region agnostic. We believe in diversification um, and being able to pull from different people's backgrounds to make smart investment decisions. That is actually the meaning of Kretsu. It's Japanese for community. And so it's really bringing together a community of individuals to help work together to provide a diversified portfolio and make smart investments. And so there's um, sector specific uh, individuals that focus on the committee level. We have a few different committees the companies go through and from there the committees make recommendation to deal screening. Uh, deal screening is a small group of very engaged um, active investors uh, that look at 10 different metrics on whether these companies are a good fit to be able to move into our next process. So that said, we are entrepreneurs ourselves. Um, we've been engaged in the entrepreneurial community for a long time. Uh, we have a for-profit business. We provide a service to company looking to streamline their fundraising. And so for any CEO out there going to raise capital, they should know that it's a second full-time job that they're taking on. And, uh, and so how much time they have is up to them. 
in terms of what they want to do. So sometimes it's a good fit and sometimes it's not. But uh, the companies have an administrative fee that goes with uh, the streamlining of the fundraising process. So if they do get invited to come to our forums, they get in front of 250 to 300 investors over the course of one week of which we call our road show. So you're in five different cities, 10 events. We host it all. We put it together, we get the investors in the room, we get the food, we get the wine, we get everything put together for you. We provide you with all the feedback, Q&A, positives and critiques, and all the interest levels that are filled out. And you get that and you are able then to have a full-time team help support you on the back end with due diligence and that fundraising process. So it's really a service-based business that we have to help streamline it, but with our investor group, um, they're very active and they're looking for a little bit later stage deals and these are usually CEOs that don't have a lot of extra time to go out and raise capital. Right. So what's the sort of the, I mean, average revenue of, this, of the companies that come through? Maybe that's not a fair question. What's the typical size of the revenue so typically in revenue we're looking for at least 200 to 250,000 a year okay. um, that said we do a lot of life science investing about 40 percent of our funding last year went to um, life sciences hmm. uh, we measure those in different ways because life science companies typically don't have revenue however they do have non-dilutive funding that they've applied for. They have been working on building out their product if it's a medical device. Uh, they're getting through the stages um, to be able to get to the clinical trials. So usually we're funding a type of clinical trial that they're looking to get through or a certain type of FDA clearance. But there's still revenue or some sort of funding that's come in the door ahead of time before they get to us. I gotcha. In that case, mostly non-dilutive funding, probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, they might do some, you know, friends and family or um, early seed funding as well. Uh, but we, but that's, but we don't fund the, you know, I have this idea for this medical device. That right. is not the type of company that would be a good fit for us. Come okay. talk to us in a few years. Are, is it more devices than, than, than bugs and drugs or is it not? equal amounts? You know, um, it really depends on the team. Okay. Um, and so we look at all sorts of deals uh, and it, it really boils, boils down to the team. Uh, what kind of experience the team has? Um, have they done this before? Uh, because I mean, especially if you're talking about moving through the FDA or maybe you're looking to, you know, your product can be sold into the Department of Defense. These are really complicated cycles to try and make it through. So right. experience is important. And if the team might have uh, the education or the knowledge about the product, then we're looking experience in the advisors and the board of directors to really be able to push that team forward and give them the proper uh, support that they need to get it to market. Right. What's that? Okay, so it's just not to veer off the path here and talk about life sciences the whole time. Yeah. But um, it does just seem like a much more complex and difficult scenario overall. But maybe I'm wrong about that. It is, but we've had some of our most successful exits right. with life science companies. Right. Um, you know, big purchase orders. I mean, and, and some of them are drug platforms, some of them are vaccines. Um, but uh, yeah, we've had we've had a lot of success with uh, the medical devices. That said, you know we're still looking at technology, uh, different hardware, software, AI, real estate. Once again, diversification is key uh, because as everything cycles, the market also cycles. So being as diversified as possible will help you be a good investor.
Right. Okay, so in the Koretsu process, so you, you, you go in and so a company reaches out to you and says, hey, I'd love to talk to you about you know, my company and what, what we're working on and whether we're a good fit for your organization. And let's just play the game. Let's say this company has got half a million dollars in run rate revenue or something like this. So it's, you know, it's sizable enough to be curious. Plus, you're trying to support founders. You probably talked to any founder who called you, regardless of where they were in the process, I presume. And even if they were ideation stage, you'd probably still meet with them and give them feedback and talk to them about how they might progress to the next level? Absolutely. No, I'm always happy to help the companies um, wherever they're at and even have our committees um, at the early front take a look at them. Yeah. Because even though they might not be ready now, they might be ready in a couple of years right. to actually come through our process. And it's building those relationships and really supporting um, entrepreneurs and, and what they're looking to create. You know, I have three kids at home and uh, they're small kids and, and I really look to this innovation to how their world is going to be changed and transformed in the future. And it's really important to both Nathan and I as we help fund these uh, innovative ideas. Right. So where are those? So you go, you, go, if you go in, you talk to the committee. If the committee says yes, let's pass you on to screening. Then the screening committee starts to take a look at you. When does the, when does the due diligence process commence? Does it commence after you've decided to put someone in front of the, in front of the five groups? Yes. So um, if someone gets invited to deal screening, they actually get 45 minutes with me. So I do, um, I now pitch coach all of the companies. And so when I came on board, uh, coaching uh, the entrepreneurs was something that I felt was extremely important. And as an organization, being able to support um, the entrepreneurs and making sure that they were ready for success ultimately would end up making our investors happy as well because their pitch would be clear, concise, they'd be able to get the proper feedback that they needed to actually build out their FAQ ahead of time and go raise those dollars. Um, so I work with all the companies uh, prior to deal screening and then prior to forms week. Uh, when they go through the deal screening process there is a sheet that's filled out um, you know, this is something feedback is really important to us to be able to provide the entrepreneurs at any level. And they are provided with the scoring of, of the 10 different metrics. And these are from, you know, barriers to entry to team and, and advisors and business model and, you know, exit potential, ROI. All of these things are graded on a scale of zero to five. And at the end of the due diligence or de deal screening, excuse me, deal screening, they're either uh, invited, delayed, or denied to come to our forum. If they are delayed, we usually provide them with milestones that they need to meet before they can one, come back through okay. um, and give it another go. And at that point, once they engage with the forum process uh, and go on the roadshow week, which we usually book out a couple months in advance, uh, after they go through that week, then they're building their due diligence team while they're on the road. And so something we really equip our entrepreneurs with is the ability to ask. You have to ask for funding, you have to ask for help, you have to you know, pull out the key people in the room uh, that have interest and we provide them with that information the day of the meeting. So people who sign up for interest on their sheet they're provided with that information for the social afterwards so they can specifically target the individuals that want to, are interested in learning more. They've right. gotten interest in potentially investing in the company. And those are the individuals they need to ask to be on the due diligence team. We have a very thorough due diligence process. Uh, every group is different. Um, I will not say our process is easy, but the company owns the document. 
once it's done. And it's at minimum of 50 pages. It's modeled after a real estate type of due diligence. And so this is a living document that continued to be updated as the company progresses and moves forward that can help streamline their capital raising process and even potentially be used in an M&A situation or at least a beginning starter. And that document is about 50 grand once you, you know, really look at M&A and being acquired. Um, so we're really looking to help support the company in multiple different ways. At the same time, we're de-risking the investment for us because if the company is actually able to go raise their entire round, then they can go do what they need to go do. They have their use of funds to build out their sales team, to get their manufacturing in place, to get their IP uh, taken care of. So. In all ways, it's supporting the entrepreneur and working on de-risking these very high-risk investments for our investors. Right. So what's the what's the average amount of uh, money that these companies raise that come through, approximately? I know it's a range, but... Well, so all of our investors invest on their own accord. So the thing to really keep in mind as they come through the forum process is uh, we are a peer facilitator. And so that's why we really work on training our entrepreneurs to ask. Because as much as I could ask, they're not investing in me. They're investing in the CEO to execute. Um, and so it can be, it, it really depends on the interest level of the company and how well they convey their value proposition. Um, I've seen companies raise 1.2 million in a week. I've seen companies raise nothing. You know, it, it there is no guarantee of funding, right. but we do everything we can to set the, the entrepreneur up for success right. when they come through. I can't force my investors to write a check, unfortunately. I wish I could sometimes. No, there's is there's a is there a side how, how does this, do you have a sidecar fund that goes along when you have a certain number of members invest or how does that how does that work? No, um, we do work um, with another organization. So if the minimums are higher, so typical minimum uh, for investment uh, is about twenty five k. Okay. When uh, companies come through. Um, and they're seeking investment um, from an individual investor. Uh, sometimes they come through and it's 100K, and that can be a little steep for any investor in Seattle as they're looking to diversify their portfolio. Right. So we have vehicles where we will facilitate an LLC setup for a group invest, so okay. that it's a single line on a cap table so we can bring in investors under one line. Um, but we also have the Koretsu Capital Fund. And so that's run by Nathan. He's the CEO and managing partner. And that was started four years ago. And we've just launched our fourth co-investment fund. But that basically is a vehicle to allow companies that have moved through a due diligence process, have at least half of their investment they're seeking in the bank um, and some Koretsu members in the deal that they can actually apply for capital fund. And so we typically, each co-investment fund invests uh, anywhere from 38 to 45 companies okay. um, over the course the capital is deployed over um, two to three year period of time. Okay. And, uh, and so that's a way that we can help our investors diversify, but there is no sidecar fund. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, I, I guess I meant by that. There's, so there's a, there's a fund, uh, the credit form has a fund, and then it, it, it co-invests in some of the Companies. Koretsu so, Capital has a fund, oh, gotcha, so, gotcha, so it's, a, okay. it's a completely gotcha, separate okay. company. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, interesting. So what tells Mike and I have talked to a number of people about this. Um, a lot of founders listen to the show, and it's always good. It's always nice to hear kind of what, I mean, what do you, good advice, you know, 
on pitches or what not to do on pitches. So we'd love to hear your thoughts since you've spent a lot of time thinking about this. So I work with our companies in depth on uh, pitch coaching. Uh, it's something I have a lot of passion about. Uh, you know, being able to convey your value proposition to an investor is extremely important because typically why an entrepreneur starts a company and why an investor invests in a company are two completely different things. Sometimes, I mean, there's alignments that occur, but they're usually different. Investors are looking for something different. Um, so most of the time, entrepreneurs will spend a lot of time talking about the problem. They're very passionate about the problem they're solving. I've always thought that was a great place to start in general. It's a great place to start, but it's not what we're investing in. We're actually investing in the solution. Right. And so being able to have a clearly defined problem is important, but in like two to three sentences. Okay. And, uh, and usually sticking, staying clear of words on your deck and really having your, your deck be able to be pictures that complement what you're saying. You know, technology has been great in many different ways, but we now have the attention span of gnats. And, uh, and so how do you actually keep an investor engaged the whole time and not start thinking about different things that they get lost on? So if your slides are too busy, um, there might be a confusing point on there. Uh, and I've done it where it's like, well, what does that mean? And then I just keep thinking, well, what does that mean? And at that point, I've, I'm not listening to the person pitch the company anymore because right. I'm trying to solve the problem in my head right. on what they're talking about. Um, the other thing is that they don't actually talk about how they get to market. Mm. And so, <laughs> so go to market's tough though. Go to market is tough. Uh, you've got to have a plan in place. If you're, if you're coming to seek capital, outside capital from investors right. and you're looking for that growth, you need to be able to talk about in a very sophisticated way on how you're going to do that. And if you don't know how, you need to say you don't know how to do certain things. I mean, that's one thing I actually encourage our entrepreneurs to do often is call out the elephant in the room. You know, you don't have to have the answers to everything. We actually look for companies that don't have the answers to everything because we want to help. We're an investor network. Most of our investors have built and sold companies multiple times and have a lot to contribute. And they're active in their investments in these companies. And so, being able to, you know, talk about your strengths and identify also what your weaknesses are, are, are important. And uh, the investors, they appreciate that. They appreciate um, them not knowing everything. The other thing that uh, companies try to do is they try to cram everything about their company in, into five minutes. They have five minutes, and I hear constant complaints on the time constraints. So for our deal screening, they have seven minutes to pitch, and at our forum week, they have ten. But they also have Q&A time. So I really work on helping them structure and use the entire time that they have. So talking about things at a high level, so when you have 10 minutes to pitch, um, covering things an, enough that entices interest and being able to actually control the other 10 minutes of Q&A, you can do that and you can have appendix slides. But you want to leave the investors wanting a little bit more when you're pitching your company because that active engagement and you being able to uh, clearly talk about what you're doing um, is going to help bring them in and at the end of the day they're investing in you and your ability to execute so the more chances that you have to prove that over the course of your pitch whatever that may be you're just looking to grab interest you're not going to get a check written immediately from the first pitch you give 
it's going to take a series of emails, phone calls, more emails, more phone calls, maybe a few in-person meetings before you're actually able to close that investor. And so it's a lot of work. And, um, and so those are some of the things. The other thing about the pitch that um, drives me nutty is individuals who rearrange the slide order and think that the way that their slides are the, the order of their slides is going to pack a punch with how it's delivered and it's going to be memorable. And I'm here to tell you for an investor that's, I can't even tell you how many companies I've screened over 13 years. I like consistency in my slide order. It helps me to know what's coming next because I'm typically vetting this company against the one that came before. And what's gonna differentiate you is your content. It's you, it's how you deliver it, it's your passion, it's how well-defined your, your market is and how you're gonna get there and who's on your advisory team and it's not the order of your slides. Right, how many slides do you recommend? I have 12. 12 slides, okay. And so start. you would say start with the problem. Problem, solution, and solution can sometimes be a slide or two. Uh, market size, so market is not necessarily go to market but market size. Uh, and this is important to display in pictures um, because it does something, it actually helps to deliver focus. And if a company has a, a product that is something to everyone, that is a huge red flag for me. Um, you're not gonna be able to go to market being something to everyone. You need to have a defined go to market. So understanding like, hey, I have a billion dollar market. And of that billion dollar market, there's a $500, $500 million market that does this. And of that $500 million market, I'm gonna start at this $20 million market. And it shows your ability to be methodical about your approach to your go to market before you get to it and that you have the ability to scale. And that is something that an investor is really looking for, is that, that growth. And scale can also be translated to the entrepreneurs uh, on the other end here as the hockey stick. That is, the, that is scale. And so, um, and then the next slide is your go-to-market. How are you gonna get there? Are you gonna have a sales team? How are you gonna deploy the sales team? How are you gonna manage the sales team? What does that look like? If you don't have a sales team, then you know what different connections are you gonna need? Do you have a long sales cycle? How are you gonna mitigate that? Um, we see longer sales cycles with individuals selling platforms into education or into hospitals. And so really understanding your go-to-market and how you're gonna get there. And um, from there, it's, and that usually takes a slide or two as well. If you have a product you're manufacturing, um, we'll need to understand a little bit about your COGS and how that works. Um, and then from there, going into competition. Competition is really important. And a lot of people think, oh, there's a lot of competition in this space. And sometimes that can be a bad thing if it's crowded. Usually it's really important because your competitors might be your potential buyers. They might acquire you. And so it's being able to build those relationships uh, with your competition, understanding where they are in the marketplace and then fitting them, fitting yourself into that and, and how you differentiate yourself. Uh, from competition, I typically go into financials. Okay. And in financials, I don't like to see numbers. I like to see a hockey stick. And I say this, and because the investors laugh in the room, uh, you know, it's like, oh, there's the hockey stick, ha, ha, ha. But I tell you, when the hockey stick isn't there, in positives and critiques, it always comes up, well, there was no hockey stick. I couldn't see the scale. And so it's understanding that 
even though it is projections and it's where you want to go and it's not based in a whole lot of reality, it shows us that you've actually thought about your metrics. You've thought about how it works. You've thought about how you penetrate the different markets and how you can methodically grow the company. And so, and being able to talk about those in depth in Q&A is important, but being able to see that growth over five years is good and putting actual years on the bottom of the slide and not like year one, year two, year three, you know, being a little bit more detail oriented. So from financials, I like to roll into team because the team is who is executing the financials. Team and then typically board of advisors. Um, and team, it's really important to highlight experience. What you know, what experience uh, you have. If you don't have the experience, maybe you're very knowledgeable in this area, but your advisors have a lot of experience and maybe have had a few successful exits. These are important things that we're looking at. Team is everything. Team is who executes. You can sure. have the greatest product in the world, but if you can't get it to market, our investment means nothing. Yeah, and so you, that, is, that the, is that the end of the slideshow then? No. The team, what comes last? Well, so next is deal, because you always got to ask for the sure, money. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you got to ask. So we're investing in the team. Uh, the next is exit. And because I need to know that you've got a plan. And I don't care what your plan is. I don't, I don't care if you want an IPO. I don't care if you want M&A. But if you're seeking outside investment, I want to know how I'm going to get my money back. Why is this going to be a good investment for me? Right. And, um, and then I love to finish with traction. So highlighting all the media coverage, um, the different accomplishments you've made, really it's the icing on the cake that puts together the entire story that you've had throughout your 10 minute pitch. And, um, and it's funny because you know, entrepreneurs will be like, well, that's a lot of slides. And it's like, well, at a high level, you can actually touch on all these pieces. And I've seen entrepreneurs do it time and time again. Theoretically, it's only about 10 slides. 10. Yeah, there's a couple room for a couple extras in there. Sure, I'm sure. So you go problem, solution, size of market, go-to-market strategy, competition, financials, team, ask, exit, traction, roughly. Roughly. Okay, okay. Hey, one thing that Mike, Mike and I've talked to a lot of people about this, um, it, I'd love to hear Mike's thoughts on this, but Mike, we frequently talk on the show about, hey, you know, is raising money even a good idea? I mean, is that is this really the right idea for your business? And I know you have thoughts about this too, Brianna, but Mike, well, let's, why don't we chat about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been kind of just sit, sitting back and taking this all in because, um, you know, the fundraising thing isn't really uh, sort of, I don't, I don't quite live in that world exactly. My business is more of a, of a small, you know, almost like a, uh, I don't know, cash cow kind of business where you run the business, you, you know, it generates revenue almost, it, it, you could say it's like a lifestyle business. People, people use that term sometimes in, in a good and bad ways. Um, but yeah, I always think about this interesting struggle between building a business that is, um, you know, built simply, uh, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, triples and, and uh, doubles as opposed to home runs um, because they're more likely to happen but they're not necessarily fundable um, because the investors are always looking for a big, a big win and an exit. Um, so yeah, I, I'm always I'm always interested in this discussion about when you're going into business, which is, you know, which types of opportunities make sense. Sometimes I look at myself and I say, man, I should be going after bigger opportunities because you only get Joe and I talk about this over and over again on the show. You only get maybe uh, maybe four or five opportunities to start a business and, and run it. 
during your life. You know, each business takes seven to 10 years. So, you know, so you kind of want to make sure that you pick the right ones. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it seems like you guys typically focus on, um, you know, you're looking for folks that are, that are aiming for the fences, right? Um, not necessarily. I would say we'd be looking for the doubles and triples. We actually think the ideal time for liquidity is an earlier exit, uh, versus, you know, trying to hit those home runs. Uh, we're really focused on exit. Uh, 2018 is like the year of the exit for us. We actually have been working in depth on an exit handbook for the last year uh, by some key M&A individuals that are in our group, teaching our investors how to be active investors uh, and staying on top of it with their companies. And you know, we speak from personal experience in that I've invested in some lifestyle companies and uh, they're 12 years old and I, my ROI to date has not has been donation baskets for auctions. Um, so, you know, it, 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 so the thing is, is that we need liquidity coming back into the marketplace in order to continue to fund new innovations. So there, there are certain companies that are good investment opportunities and then there's just small businesses. And, um, you know, and this is something I'm really passionate about. I've tried to work with the universities on this, our local universities here, on being able to to teach a class on what what your exit is, whatever that may be. But they don't teach exit in the entrepreneurship club programs. So what you need to have in place for an M&A, what you need to have in place for an IPO. Do you have a lifestyle business? Are you just gonna grow a small business? Small businesses are the backbone to the US economy. We need people like you, Mike, who build a business and run it. And uh, sometimes bringing in outside capital is not, the best move and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that i just feel that entrepreneurship has been glorified in this glamorous way and you can think shark tank and a variety of other things that have helped contribute to that that it's like hey i'm going to go start a company so the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to go raise some capital because that's what i saw on tv and uh and so that's that's the next thing i do and i've, I've challenged some entrepreneurs who are in the pre-seed you know, ideation stage. And I'm like, you know, bootstrap it as long as you can. Yeah. Take that owner, keep your ownership. Don't start selling off your company now because if you start selling it off now, what happens when you have nothing left and you've had to go raise so much capital that you work on this project for, you know, eight to 10 years and you get nothing for it. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I mean, that'd be, that'd be terrible. It's happened. <laughs> Well, I know it's happened. It's well, happened. Well, I think. Well, I think. Well, this is one of the. This is one of the, sort of, ideas behind how we, how we, place values on these companies in the first rounds, right? Because we can't have a situation where, the the first round dilutes the founder so bad we know that the, by the time the third round comes around they're going to be, not very interested in, in like toughing it out, because they're going to have been diluted down so badly. Um, but in any event, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, so if folks want to come talk to you, and you'll—I mean—you'll talk to it, companies. Don't need to have a couple hundred thousand in run rate revenue. If they're early, that's great. You'll talk to them. You've got a process at the Kritzi Forum. It, one thing people I think miss, and I tell people all the time, is, "Hey, look, yeah, there's a fee associated with it. Mm -hmm. But but before you even get to that point, you're going to meet some great people. You might you might meet people in the, in the process pre-fee that." actually end up funding your company. You don't really know what's going to transpire. And so I always encourage people to, to have the conversations and get started just to see how it goes. What, what, what's your general take on that or 
reaction to that? Um, so, so the thing is, is that not every company is a good fit for our organization, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. I, I'm I'm okay with that. That's why there is the other groups out there. That's why there's Puget Sound Venture Club, and Alliance of Angels, and Wings, and E8. You know, and we work with all those different organizations and and uh, support one another. Yeah. Um, you know, what we have is a streamlined process for very busy CEOs. Yeah. Uh, to, that don't have a lot of time to be out raising capital. That said, we're not going to turn anybody away from looking at their company up front and see if it's if it's a good fit. And we do have a few resource members that work with uh, companies as well, and we might be able to provide them with connections. We're always looking to help, you know, fuel innovation in uh, in the area. Um, and I also teach pitch coaching classes, um, so for companies that are interested, they can dial in, they can come to our offices, those are once a month. And we also have due diligence training, which is no cost, and they can always participate and call in and really learn about what due diligence is, because it's, it's invasive, I'm not going to lie. I mean, we're looking under the hood and poking and prodding at your baby, and uh, it can be a little uncomfortable at times. So being able to understand what that is before you bring in outside investors can be good too. Right. Yeah. Mike, any, any parting thoughts? No, this has been really inter interesting. I'm, I'm always interested to hear how the process works and, and what options are available to founders when they're looking for money. So um, yeah, thanks for taking the time to share it with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here. So if folks want to get a hold of you, Rana, what's the best way for them to, to reach out? Uh, well, they can go to our website, okay. uh, which is k4northwest.com, okay. uh, and they can find me there, and okay. they can also uh, contact our entrepreneur director as well. He's, uh, he's a great uh, individual for support. Sure. Who is that right now again? Um, so it's currently Juan Arango. He's oh, been okay. with us for yeah. about four years. Uh, he'll be moving over to full-time due diligence director here soon. Okay. And follow-on um, work with the entrepreneurs, and we brought on Fonda Fan, okay. and uh, she's a recent graduate from UW, oh, and nice. she's uh, getting molded into the role right now, and she's going to be amazing. So I'm really excited about bringing her on the team. Well, that's good stuff. Well, we really super appreciate you being on the show, and if anyone in the audience has any questions, um, you know, please, uh, you know, when we post the episode, you can put your questions right into the episode. We can get them to Brianna, and then we can answer answer those questions for you. So. Thank you for being with us. All right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, really Mike. Nice. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone uh, for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you next week.